Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the first Wisden T20 World Cup daily podcast. England beat Afghanistan in their Group 1 opener while New Zealand hammered Australia in a repeat of last year's final in the other game of the day. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is Mark Butcher and ESPN Quick Info writing reporter Matt Roller. We'll start with the England game. Butch, what did you make of England's approach with the bat? It took them 18 overs to chase down 113 net run rate. We'll talk about it with the Australia game, but that could be crucial at the end of the group. Afghanistan could have won that game as well, I guess, without that collapse at the end with the bat and they were poor in the field. England got burnt a couple of times chasing low-ish targets in Pakistan. And games that they should have won, um, they kind of stuffed up by by losing too many wickets early, um, particularly in the power play, being three down in the power play and kind of failing to chase down targets that they should have done in their sleep. Um, this I don't think that this was a hangover from that particularly, but I think it would have been in the back of their minds, um, you know, to tr- just get the two points on the board. And I also don't think the pitch was that good. Um, you know, <laughs> Afghanistan sort of collapsed. Yes, um, it looked like a you know a, a, a poor a poor batting effort from Afghanistan, but most of the time a poor a poor batting effort will end up with a team making 130 to 140. I think on a pitch if you're struggling to make 120 then it's been difficult. It's been hard work to make runs on. So um, England would have preferred to have done it with five overs to spare, I'm sure. But as it was, there was a threat there from Rashid Khan um, and it wasn't straightforward for them to just keep peppering the boundary because if it had been, guaranteed they would have done it. I mean, they picked picked a team with all of their batting in it and left anybody out. Um, and so uh, that's that's simply the case that they they... They were pragmatic. Took the two points. We'll, we'll destroy somebody else another time down the line. Mm. Oh, head nodding from you, Matt. You brought in agreement. Yeah, I think so. I think it clearly wasn't the easiest pitch, was it? I think Liam Livingston was the only guy to make any sort of contribution while scoring it above a runner ball um, across both innings, which tells you that it can't have been uh, that straightforward a pitch. Um, you know, someone like Darwin Milan, who's been in pretty good touch actually over the last two or three weeks, scoring as slowly as he did, suggests that it was 
Um, yeah, very much not coming onto the bat. It's clearly a ground with massive square boundaries as well, um, which means that it's not easy to just pick off loose balls in the way that you might, say, a, you know, Trent Bridge or an English ground. Um, and also just in terms of the game management, I suppose Afghanistan have, you know, probably the world's best spin bowler in Rashid Khan and then probably a, a top 10 spinner in Majib. So I think they managed one boundary across those eight overs, but um, crucially didn't lose too many wickets. And I think much as it would have been great from England's point of view to knock it off in 12 overs and, you know, leapfrog New Zealand and go top early on, I think they'll, they'll be looking at it as four wins is probably enough to go through. And if they manage games well and, um, you know, I think you want to get avoid getting too sucked into net run rate. And this this was clearly a game they could have lost. Afghanistan do have a very good bowling attack, uh, or at least a handful of very good bowlers. So as, as I saw it, while it probably wasn't quite the comprehensive win that you th- thought it might be after what was a complete team performance in the um, in the field, it was still you know they avoided a banana skin. They avoided a, a defeat against a pretty tricky opponent who could still beat one of the big boys at some point in this group stage. Um, and I think they'll just be happy to to have two points on the board. Mark, five for 10 for Sam Curran, the best figures by an Englishman in the men's T20i ever. We'll get onto him in a second, but the tone is really set by Mark Wood. He bowled so quickly. According to QuickViz, that's the fastest average speed anyone's ever had in a T20 World Cup game. His average ball was 92.6 miles per hour. He didn't bowl a single ball slower than 140Ks. That's 87-ish miles per hour. What's it like facing bowling that quick? You would have faced Brett Lee and Schwerbachter in their pomp. Um, I thought Ramanullah did pretty well to to nick the first ball that that Mark Wood bowled. (laughs) Um... Well, I mean, I remember I remember batting against guys bowling at, at that sort of speed in, in test matches, but you're not trying to score eight and over in those mostly. So, <laughs> so it was very much a case of you know try try and wear them. You know, if they don't bowl, if they bowl well, then you're just trying not to get out to them. You try to take them into the sixth, seventh over because they can't do it forever. But it's a very different scenario when you've got somebody doing it um, in a format where you've got to go out there and blaze into all parts. Um, it must be incredibly tricky indeed. I mean, I thought, I mean, he, he's been building up to that anyway. I mean, some of the spells he bowled in, in Pakistan were, were frankly frightening. Uh, and they're much less fun to play against uh, on pitches where the ball isn't bouncing regularly. You know, if, the, if they're a little bit on the slow side and the ball's coming off at different paces, then it's no good, no good at all. But I also thought what's probably worth mentioning is that, that Ben Stokes taking a new ball. You know, the, it sort of the Topley injury um, sort of threw into, into focus you know, what are England now going to do? Topley was a banker for them with, with new ball and perhaps at the death. Um, you know, so you've got Chris Jordan who's your death specialist, but you're not too not that happy about what happens with him at the, the top of the order. Um, and all of a sudden, Ben Stokes has found himself in a, com- a completely new role, opening the, opening the bowling. Um, and obviously did a, did a pretty darn good job of that up top. Uh, and then, you know, and, and of course, Mark Wood, we know his job in the side is he, he's been very, very, vocal about what he's there to do and it, it's just to, to knock over good players you know I and mean, the fact that he did that at, at a rate of, of what fives or something today is, is a little bonus for you but his only thought and the only thing that he's in the team to do is get good players out um, and bowling at that sort of speed I think he's going to do it <laughs> yeah I mean, Matt one reason why I think it might be quite hard to work out exactly how good England are is that you've got three guys in their team who don't actually play that much T20 cricket Mark Wood across his entire career has played what most players play in one year Ben Stokes has played barely a game for the last 18 months and Chris Wokes is in a pretty similar situation Mark mentioned Stokes bowling four overs today one with a new ball I think Wontley bowled the seventh over as well is bowling Stokes' full allocation and fielding a side that has 
frontline batters at seven. Is that workable against every opposition or is that something that just works particularly well against Afghanistan? Do you expect Stokes to keep on bowling four, basically? It'll be really interesting. I think part of it is probably um, the venue. So uh, Optus Stadium is sort of notoriously one of the, the quickest pitches in Australia. I'm not sure it necessarily was today, but, it, you know, Wood was clear, still clearly getting some steepling bounce from short of a length, um, as were quite a few bowlers. But... Um, I, it will be interesting to see how it develops. England obviously didn't use any of Liam Livingston or Moeen Ali today, which I think they will do against certain opponents. Um, I was quite interested leading into the tournament whether England would sort of, it feels wrong saying bat-heavy or bowl-heavy lineup, given that the team today, the bat-heavy one still had, you know, potentially seven bowling options in it. Um, but I did think there was a world in which they would have left out either Livingston or Brook and, and play the extra bowler just to give uh, Butler as much cover basically as possible and avoid potentially being an overshort of the death or something like that. Um, so I thought it was interesting they'd sort of double down on that bat-heavy approach. Um, I, I, I'll be interested to see whether they persevere with that throughout the tournament or whether it's something they do flexibly because, um, you know, for example, today, it, I think you can quite often get into a point in T20 World Cups where um, if you have hitters down the order and you have a, a top order who, you know, to be honest, the top four, while they're all destructive players when they get going, most of them do take a little bit of time to get settled in. So you do risk, for example, having someone like Brooke as the spare batter who maybe does give the top order a bit of extra license, but might only face five or ten balls in a game. So they might think that it's more valuable to have against, say, Australia to have, uh, you know, someone who is nailed on to be able to bowl at the death um, because... I think you saw in the last World Cup, Chris Wokes, for example, brilliant new ball bowler, not such a good death bowler. So they might think that the, the best way to sort of um, avoid running out of bowlers is to have the extra option in the attack and just have someone that they can go to at the death in Chris Jordan and use him when they need to. But yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how, how it plays out. I would imagine for Ireland, which is the next game, they'll stick with a similar balance. They might even make a change with the fast bowlers and sort of look to manage people through the tournament because, as you say, obviously... Wood and Wokes are both coming back from long injury layoffs. Curran had a back injury that ruled him out of all of last year and Stokes occasionally in his, you know, he often does nowadays, but sort of moved a bit gingerly in his follow through and has had sort of clearly had heavy strapping on his knee throughout uh, since he arrived in Australia. So they might make a change, but I think they'll stick with the balance for the next game. But beyond that, I wouldn't be that surprised to see one of the middle order batters squeezed out just to give them, give Butler even more flexibility, which has kind of been the way he's lent throughout most of his captaincy so far. Mm. Yeah, I can't remember the last time Ben Stokes played a game where he went the whole game without hobbling for quite a considerable part of it. The other thing that gives England quite a lot of flexibility is Sam Curran bowling at the death and kind of nailing that role. Mark, it's four and a half years since he made his England debut as a teenager. England have all obviously identified there was something special about him early on. But what is it that makes him so adaptable with the ball? He's not, he's not tall. He's not that quick. Um, why is he so effective and particularly the death that's a, a, a role that so few players nail and over the last few months that is something that he's doing yeah well I mean he's he's done it he's done it a lot for Surrey he's done it a lot in, at sort of the, the level below um, and he's, he's he gets a really good Yorker in I mean that, there, there is the, the first thing he's, he's not afraid to, to get a Yorker in he's very good at getting a Yorker in he also bowls a surprisingly slippery bouncer. I mean, it, you know, he bounced out a couple of guys in, in Pakistan in the recent series down there. Um, he'll pick up wickets with the short ball because people just aren't expecting it from somebody of his pace and, and size. So he, he directs that extremely well and gets it at a good height. And then, and then the other, you throw in the other um, variations, plus the fact that the, the sort of like the mojo's with him a little bit at the moment. You know, um, I'm not entirely sure that England had this plan um, much beyond the last 
two weeks, <laughs> to be honest with you. It just seems like they've fallen into, you know, OK, well, Jordan wasn't ready, um, et cetera, et cetera. Other guys are not, are not particularly adept at bowling at the death. We'll give it to Sam and see how he goes. And since he's been in Australia, he's just been picking up wickets for fun and doing it quite brilliantly. He did it, obviously, in the uh, in the, the, the matches against Australia. So um, so there's a lot to be said for, for, for roles like that. In um, in a format of the game whereby you can be hero or zero without particularly doing anything different from one day to the next, there's quite a bit to be said for going with somebody who's got the who's got the spirit with him at the moment. Um, but but I, do, I don't think there's there's not a lot of accident that happens with Sam. I think he's I think he's very very good at what he does. He like everybody else bowling at death will get tagged from time to time. But to have somebody that can go nose and toes and be very very accurate at doing so um, is is a great asset to have. Plus the fact he's left arm. He's left arm as well. Don't forget that. Having spoken to a couple of people who have worked with him and at, both at Surrey and in the 100, I think he's probably a slightly more like clever cricketer than people give him credit for maybe because I think, you know, he probably, he might not come across as a great intellectual or whatever, but I think in terms of cricketing IQ, I think he really like tunes in and team meetings. He knows plans for certain batters and I think people have been impressed by how much he's retained information about players from different competitions that he's played in. So from international cricket and the IPL, bringing that into the blast or the 100, the sort of that, that banks with him in a way that you might not expect. And, you know, obviously a few of the Afghan players he wouldn't have bowled to much today, but there might be a few who he's come across in, you know, for example, Rashid Khan, quite notable weakness against the short ball and first ball bounces him out, caught the, caught the deep backward square. So... Um, yeah, I think he's he's probably slightly more switched on than maybe mm. sometimes he gets the credit for. I remember there's a segment on Sky during the England-New Zealand test series in New Zealand a few years ago on that the two really flat wickets and England struggled to take wickets. And he did a segment, I can't remember who it was with, he was basically talking about how he, he was trying to get wickets on those flat pitches and he was it was clear that he was very smart. He wanted to bowl around the wicket and extract any uneven bounce there was on the surface, basically bowling stump to stump, get LBW into play. So yeah, obviously a very smart Cricketer Matt, there's there's a lot of analysis done on Afghanistan that sometimes is a bit lazy. People talk about, oh, what a great story, talking about look how far they've come in the last 10 years. And don't get me wrong, the story is amazing. But do you think they're eking the most out of what they've got uh, at their disposal? I mean, Rashi Khan batting as low as eight when you've got a few guys there with really quite mediocre domestic T20 records, let alone international T20 records. Then only defending 112 and Majib doesn't bowl until the fourth over and Rashi Khan doesn't bowl until the seventh over. Yeah, I suppose it's, it was an interesting one. I think it, it, it was a strange game in that I felt like 135, 140 could have made it really, really close. Um, and I think I'm sort of slightly reluctant to be too critical of the bowling given they managed to sort of eat the game out as long as they did defending a low score but that said yeah I do agree I was surprised especially given how how well Rashid Khan has done against Joss Butler historically um, and how obvious it was that he was sort of the trump card in that game how his and Majib's overs were both sort of held back until the middle because I didn't really think Afghanistan at any point looked like they were trying to sort of win the game by bowling England out it looked more like they were trying to squeeze as much as possible almost um, reduce the hit to the net run rate and make it as close a game as they could and hope something crazy happened at the end. So I did think that was an interesting thing. And then, I, I don't know, with the bat, it's tricky. I think, it, it, you know, as Butch says, it's clearly a, a really difficult challenge facing someone bowling 150 clicks and trying to hit you in the head. Um, Wokes in the power play was brilliant as well. Um, and I, I think clearly the, the batting lineup is... I think they, they lack the same... They don't have the talent that they have with the ball um, in terms of their batting lineup. Um, in terms of stuff like Rashid, yeah, potentially he could have come in a bit higher. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, 
I think I think it would be hard. To, I think you'd be hard pushed to say that Rashid batting at six or eight would have made a huge difference in this game. I think really they just kind of lacked a bit of quality through the middle. Um, so where else they lack a bit of quality? I mean, you know, the, the story and everything they've been they've been at the, at the top table for, for for long enough now. They're fielding is dire. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, ground fielding. Everybody drops catches, but the ground fielding, the way that the athleticism of some of the some of the guys out there in the field is just not not good enough and one of the places where that gets highlighted more than any other is Australia on, the, on those big grounds um, and so you know if you, you put I guess if you put say I don't know Scotland or Ireland or whatever in a similar scenario in that their fielding wouldn't have been the thing that had let them down but I think um, you know it, it, England can beat anybody um, and, and, and you could say the same of Afghanistan. However, one thing that, that you should be on a relatively level playing field with them for is, is, is in the field and they were not, were not up to scratch today. And finally, Butch, do you have England as competition favourites? I, I think they're up there for sure. I mean, we haven't seen everybody play yet. Um, you know, New Zealand are always going to... You put them in for a semi-final before you start a competition, right? Um, but I think I think England are a fantastic team. I, I, I said this before we started. I, I thought that they were playing down their chances of, of doing something special in this tournament beforehand, probably by design. But you look at the options they have. Um, you know, even even while it looks as though they're sort of cobbling things together a little bit as, as they go along, it's just the, the the riches that they have and the sort of impact players. Um, Matt will know more about all that sort of stuff than me. But the, you know, guys who can. Guys who over the course of a 20-ball period, whether it be with, with bat or ball, can kind of win a game for you. England are just chock full of them. So, um, yeah, they're, they're up there among the favourites. I'd, I'd say, well, if, if you're asking me to put my money on anybody, I'd say England, yeah. Nice one. Well, cheers for your time, Butch. Catch you soon. Matt, as a repeat of last year's final, New Zealand absolutely batted Australia by 89 runs. Their first ever win in the T20I on Australian soil against Australia. Um, one of the big selection debates for New Zealand going into the tournament was who should partner Devon Conway at the top and Finn Allen emphatically justified the faith shown behind him, 42 of 16. And one thing I really like about Allen is I feel like in the last couple of years in T20 cricket, there's more statistical awareness and openers of, of what happens if you lose a wicket earlier on. So the first two or three overs can actually be quite slow and then team kind of accelerate to the back end of the power play. Not with Alan, he just goes for it. 14 in the first over, his first over in the World Cup. That kind of set the tone for New Zealand in a, basically a perfect day. For yeah, I think um, it's interesting with Alan. I was, I was thinking, you know, Mitchell Stark with the new ball against New Zealand in a massive game in front of a big crowd. And I was thinking Finn Allen was probably at school <laughs> when he would have watched in 2015 him knock over Brendan yeah. McCullum in the World Cup final. But then, you know, I think second and third ball went for four and six and just absolutely took him to pieces, really. And yeah, as you say, set the tone for the whole innings. I think um, Devon Conway played a really, really good innings too, which shouldn't be, like, we shouldn't forget to mention that. I think he got, yeah, 92 off 58 balls. And um, that was a sort of real, it was almost like, um, it, it feels a little bit like the anchor role in T20 has evolved a bit where you suddenly have these complete players like, for example, Butler and Warner and Conway's probably not quite in the same bracket, but in terms of style, maybe he is, where you are just looking to bat through and do have the ability to score pretty quickly against most bowler types while also taking low risk options. And I think the way he sort of negotiates spin through the middle, he's pretty good against, you know, pretty good against pace as well. And basically seems to play low risk cricket shots, good cricket shots, looks classy while he's doing it and still manages to regularly score, you know, 140, 150 plus um, if he bats for a long period of time. I think that was a really, really important knock. 
Um, and yeah, those two, I think, have opened together for, for Wellington and domestic cricket and seem to have a pretty good understanding. And yeah, it feels like quite a big moment for New Zealand to have moved on from Guptill because he's opened the batting for them forever, forever basically, yeah. in T20 cricket. But um, yeah, for them to have taken that big call and it, for it to have paid off in such a big game, really, because that, you know, that that could well be a qualification decider when we look back on it in three weeks' time, two weeks' time even. Um, so yeah, for him to have done that in... in I think his first World Cup game and just such a massive stage. It's, yeah. It, yeah, it's huge. Um, Kane Williamson's role came, he got a bit of stick, running ball 23. And I wonder though, isn't that fine for this team? If, if Finn Allen averages 15, 16, 17 balls in innings, Conway's going to try and do what he did today. But there's not that much in the middle order. Nisham uh, is great at the death, but you don't want him coming in too early. You've got Santner at seven, you don't want him coming in too early. So it's his job to kind of make sure they don't collapse between over seven and 16 after with Allen at the top, hopefully a rapid start and Nisham at the end, rapid finish. Yeah. I, you I, wouldn't I, construct a team like that in franchise cricket. Yeah. You'd, you'd hope you'd have a stronger middle, but if that's what you've got and that's what you get in international T20 cricket is, is, is a little bit weird how teams kind of make up for the, for their Yeah. I, I'm sort of, I, yeah, I, I, as I say, I'm sort of reluctant to, um, to praise Williamson too much for scoring 23 off 23 and a team score of 200. I think the, I suppose the counter argument to that is that Glenn Phillips has turned into a really good player of spin and is a really good runner between the wickets as well. Um, so is can sort of manage an innings in the same way that Williamson did today, but maybe go a little faster than he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you don't want to criticise New Zealand's batting when they've managed to get 200 against what is still a pretty good attack, even though, you know, they, there's a bit of scrutiny at times with some of those Australian bowlers sort of, they, they, between them don't play that much T20 cricket um, and clearly they've they've gone with this bat heavy strategy that they did last time so you have Stoinis bowling four overs which does mean it's not it's not quite as strong as maybe it could have been um, but you know he's Williamson's yeah as you say done a certain role um, I think ideally he'd be going at 130 rather than 100 but um, yeah, doesn't, doesn't he nailed always it. happen yeah. he's out of he's, yeah. he looks like he's been out of Nick for a while and he's um, I think Tom Moody said on our show before the start that he's, he's clearly sort of um, struggled with his elbow and that's that's still niggling away at him a little yeah. bit even if it's you know he just can't bat for as much as he'd like to in training which is he, he described him as a volume player and said that he's a guy who wants to hit a million balls in the nets whereas actually he can only manage you know 50 at a time because mm. his elbow still gives him a bit of grief if he goes if he pushes it too much um, but yeah I thought it was a really complete performance from New Zealand I think you know it, it's a classic it, it, this happens in every single ICC event where everyone says you can't they're such a good tournament team you can never write them off but everyone write actually, them off everyone kind of before is like oh yeah New Zealand they'll probably come third in that group or fourth yeah. in that group or whatever but um, yeah they, they I think also you know it will come onto their bowling I'm sure but the fact that it was Tim Southey who was the destroyer really um, it's quite interesting because he's again sort of slips under the radar and did pretty well in the UAE last year and starts a tournament with three for 10 or something like that today. So Yeah, um, it was three for six. I'm looking at him and, six, him, yeah. him and Bolt have just extraordinary ICC tournament records in both T20 and, and 50 over World Cups. And with Sal there, I kind of think he's he's quite a similar bowler to Wokes in, in white ball cricket in that you wouldn't really want him as an overseas player in your, in your team of constructing it because he's quite one-dimensional. But actually, in an international side where you've got guys who can back you up at other phases in the innings, he, he's really, really dangerous. And I guess the big difference between this New Zealand team and last time is having Lockie Ferguson, he wasn't there obviously at the end of the last last tournament. Having someone like him, one of the quickest bowlers in the world as well, gives so much to that attack. Just on Australia, just a bad day at the office. Those kind of days can just happen in, in T20 cricket. I think so. It, it's been quite interesting to follow them. I think one of the weird thing with T20 World Cups, and I, I think particularly with the last one and how 
Australia sort of came together in such an obvious way for those last four games and got on a roll, it's very easy to then say because a team won the tournament, they were the best team there and they are unbelievable and we can't pick any holes in them. Whereas I think throughout the whole thing, you know, Australia have admitted that they got pretty lucky with winning a lot of tosses. I think they were a good T20 side and I think they were rightly one of the favourites on home soil in this tournament. But um, I don't think they were sort of world beating far better than anyone else and I think that probably showed today where you know Warner got out early and that suddenly meant that Santa and Sodi could bowl a, a string of right-handers <laughs> through the middle who mm. weren't that comfortable against spin and mm. um yeah, Santa bowled really well today yeah really and really I well. think yeah, he's again he's you know he's an underrated role player who does does pretty well and can contribute with the bat he's a good fielder and um, can bowl in the power play when he needs to but um, yeah it, it's tricky I think Australia there will almost certainly be some calls for Steve Smith to play given they had a bit of a collapse but I can't really see how he would have helped them chase 200 mm. um, but yeah I can't really see them making any changes either because of the sort of the way the squad has ended up being constructed I think the only thing they could potentially do is try and squeeze Cam Green in somehow or you know I just can't see what else they're going to do so I think they're going to have to stick with this team I think it's a pretty good team I wouldn't be surprised if they absolutely marmalized everyone else and every game that they play from now but yeah clearly didn't um didn't start as they would have liked and I think there has been a little bit of the sort of the tone coming out in the build-up has been that they have played surprisingly much cricket recently given Australia in particular don't often play that much international cricket they've played loads recently um and I don't know maybe there's a slight sort of they're not quite as fresh as they would like to be at the start of this tournament and um, you know, it's easy to retrofit a narrative about pressure as hosts and all that sort of thing, but maybe it played some small factor. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that they've suddenly become a terrible team because they lost by eighty runs. Just in the same way, I don't think they became the best team that have ever played T Twenty cricket by winning the last one. Mm. Well, cheers for your time, Matt. That's the end of our first show. We'll be back tomorrow for Ireland, Sri Lanka, and the big one, Pakistan, India, the MCG. Cheers for listening. And if you want to get in touch with any questions, send an email to podcast at wisdom.com or at any of us on Twitter. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.